From the newsrooms of the City Morning Herald and The Age, this is Please Explain. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. It's Monday, December 4th. It's being called the globe's biggest ever cryptocurrency Ponzi scheme. The scheme, allegedly the work of South African con artist Johann Steinberg, is estimated to have scammed $2.6 billion from consumers worldwide. But it's the details behind the figures that read like something out of a Netflix special. Like how the alleged con man escaped to South America to be with his mistress and evade authorities. And the angry investors who became citizen investigators. Today, business reporter Sarah Dankert on what enabled this scheme to spread like wildfire. And the nearly 9,000 Australians who became caught up in it. So, Sarah, you've just written a feature, and the details are just crazy, about the world's biggest ever cryptocurrency Ponzi scheme. So tell me about this. Yeah, when you say world's biggest ever, it really is huge. Certainly the biggest I've ever seen. It's an international scheme. It was called Mirror Trading International. And it's estimated to have robbed about 2.6 billion Australian dollars, that's about 1.7 US dollars, from about 100,000 people across 140 countries around the world. So it originated in South Africa, but it's got victims in the US, it's had victims in Great Britain, Canada, and of course Australia. It was focused on Bitcoin trading. So it actually didn't do anything else except invested, well, claimed to invest. I think that might be an important um, distinction here. It claimed to invest in Bitcoin. Cha-ching, cha-ching, guys. That's what my phone tells me every single morning, guys. I think I cracked the code. Murray Trading International is a fast-growing opportunity to help you to grow your Bitcoin and make it work for you. Take the hassle out of crypto trading by doing it all for you. It's a beautifully timed scheme. and It was pretty small in the first few years, but by 2020, it was becoming very big. It spread like wildfire through Facebook. It was incredibly popular. But also, it was this double thing where it tapped into the zeitgeist of both Bitcoin, because during the pandemic, the price of Bitcoin spiked. At the same time during the pandemic, you had a whole lot of people who were um, at home, they were bored, and this seemed safe. People were getting recommended by, you know, trusted family members who didn't know they were recommending a scam. They legitimately thought it was good money. The people who were investing thought they were investing in a scheme that was being operated by a bot. It's very 2020 sort of feel, very AI generated, very modern, very new, very now. And this bot was expected to set up sophisticated trading strategies for Bitcoin. So basically people could put in money and they didn't have to think too much after that. They didn't need to be experts in Bitcoin. This bot was going to make all those decisions for them. The problem was, and that this is the big catch in the scheme, that bot didn't exist. It never existed. It was a made-up bot. It was a pretend element created by men who turned out and women who turned out to be fraudsters. Of all of the billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin invested in this scheme, only a small amount was ever actually put into Bitcoin and the rest of the money was just taken. It was trousered effectively. And also, I guess there's this huge element of uh, interest because the man behind the scheme, allegedly, this man called Johann Steinberg, he went on the run. Okay, so tell me about Johann Steinberg and about how this all unraveled. Johan was a smooth talker. He was very good at explaining the scheme. Questions and answers with Johan. Johan, can you tell us how the idea for Mirror Trading International came about? Yes, certainly. 
I think like most people that's involved in businesses or in, in Bitcoin industry, at some point, you know, you've lost money or got involved in something um, where you lost money. And with me, that was no different. He seemed like a very reasonable, sensible man. You know, yes, he's a big bloke, but he almost seemed a bit bookish, like an accountant, very trustworthy. I felt the need for a business that is sustainable and, um, you know, something that over time we can build trust and where, where everybody can, you know, doesn't have to make fortunes but at least they won't lose money. He was found out by investors. Investors started to realise that they couldn't withdraw their money. More and more of them complained to authorities. Over time, those authorities started investigating and he, he'd gone on the lam. He'd gone to Brazil and he joined his mistress over there, allegedly. About two years ago, the Interpol warrants were issued and that gave the Brazilian police the opportunity to go and arrest him. And so there's these lovely images of him being led away in handcuffs in the dead of the night in a city that I will butcher the pronunciation of, but I believe it's Goiânia over in Brazil. So how did the scam get discovered and how did the public react? Often the the thing that comes unstuck for fraudsters is once people realise that they've been a victim in the scam, you've got a whole lot of people, in this case 100,000 people, who are willing to do their own sort of, I guess, citizen research, citizen investigations. I've seen people pulling um, IP codes from where messages were sent. And you've got people who have been ripped off who work in the tech industry. They might work in enforcement in some areas. But a group of hackers, Kid Colt, Pedro and Mr Original, under the banner of Anonymous South Africa, had seen this coming. They delved behind MTI's website and leaked evidence allegedly revealing it to be a scam. And so a lot of these people are willing to do the research and this is sort of helps the authorities track these people down. And there's a lot on the line. Some people who invest in this scheme, they put in 150 bucks. They cut their losses and they left. But other people somehow got convinced to put in $100,000. The other mistake that Johan uh, Steinberg made and the other guys at MTI made, allegedly, was that they ripped off Americans. Now, there's a rule of thumb in financial fraud, which is that if you rip off an American, you've made a terrible mistake. Unlike Australian regulators, and we wish Australian regulators more like the US regulators, but the US regulators take very seriously any American being robbed of money. In this case, it was 23,000 Americans who got hooked into this scheme. And so that's led to massive fines in America. In total, the amount of money that Mr Steinberg now owes in America is $5.4 billion. As I said, compared to regulators here or even in the UK, um, American regulators, once they have enough evidence and enough victims, will go very, very hard. And as we've seen recently, you know, there's big prison sentences attached. We'll be right back. And we know that this case started making headlines when it sort of came to light a few years ago. But one of the newest discoveries was made by you. And it's how many Australians have actually got caught up in this scheme. So how did you find out about this and how many people are we talking about? Yeah, so it's about nearly 9,000 Australians involved. There's two categories. So about 5,250 Australians are deemed quote-unquote winners. They probably don't feel like winners. But at some point along the scheme, they made some money. So a Ponzi scheme, traditional sort of definition, new investors' money is used to pay out old investors' 
And so that way, some people don't even know that they've been involved in a Ponzi scheme. They've put in their five grand, they've made back a couple of grand, they've thought, cripes, that was good money. And they've taken their money out and gone. So there were 5,000 Australian winners and there's about 3,700 Australian losers. Now, how we found out about it and how we actually uncovered the numbers of people involved is through a court filing in Australia. It was one of those lucky accidents by me. I read court listings every afternoon, just part of the job. And on the court listing, I saw that there was a you know Mirror Trading International filing And I'd certainly heard of that before. It's one of the biggest scams in the world. And I was curious as to why the liquidators were launching action in Australia. It's quite a complicated part of international law. But it means that the liquidators from South Africa to the Mirror Trading International Scheme have won the rights to effectively act like liquidators in Australia. And what they plan to do is they plan to interview the 5,250 winners and they also, I think, hope to find some of the people that marketed the schemes, former executives from Mirror Trading, and see whether they can recoup any of that money. So it is going to be quite a difficult situation for lots of people. They probably thought they either got away with it's probably such an unkind way of describing it, but they probably thought they dodged a bullet with this one. They probably thought, oh gosh, other people did poorly out of mirror trading. I did okay. I must have dodged a bullet. And unfortunately, you know, the gun's still loaded. There's going to be quite a bit of recompense for those people. And so tell us about this, the Australians who participated in the Ponzi scheme, whether they were winners because they actually made money or whether they were actually built out of money. Is there the possibility that they could be charged with a crime? Not as far as I'm aware. I put a little asterisk next to that, a small caveat. There are some people that receive payments for bringing in new customers as well as, you know, getting paid out of their investment. Now, in that instance, there are some people who appear to either have been senior executives or senior marketers. I wouldn't like to be one of those people right now. The liquidators certainly would be looking to claw back all of the money that they've earned But in terms of normal people, normal people that got into a scheme, they might have recommended it on to their cousin or, you know, another family member or friend because they legitimately thought it was good money. They're not going to be charged with any criminal offence. I would be absolutely shocked if that happened. So there's no crime, but they might be asked to return some money. How enforceable that is, I think, will depend on the quantum of money involved. A liquidator is more likely to pursue you through the courts if it's a five-figure or six-figure sum. And are Australians particularly vulnerable to Ponzi schemes or other scams, perhaps because of lack of consumer protections in comparison with other countries? Yes, we are more at risk for that. Our consumer protection policies are all right, but they're not as strong as what they are in the US, particularly the way a regulator can thump down on bad actors in the US. So there's a, a real risk in Australia of investing in offshore schemes. So in in Australia, if you invest in a local scheme, and Australia is full of its own dodgy business people, but if you invest in a scheme here, there's a whole lot of mechanisms in place that can actually help you recoup your money or at least put them out of business. But once an Australian invests in an overseas scheme, you're on your own. The way the Australian law sees it is you've made a wrong decision, according to our law, and you ought to have only invested with potential Australian fraudsters And that does set Australia apart from America, where you can be located anywhere in the world and you start ripping off Americans, the US authorities will start getting pretty um, annoyed at you. And so where is Johann Steinberg now? And will investors get their money back? I understand at the moment Johann is in Brazil. He's still finding extradition. 
MTI released a bizarre statement that before disappearing, Steinberg allegedly received warnings that his life was in danger and he fled to Brazil, after which all communications stopped. He has been charged with an offence in Brazil for using false identity documents, but the US authorities want him home. The liquidators will want to interview him and they just want to find the assets. You know, there is a risk that people got money squirreled away. And I mean, by people, I mean the executives, the top brass of Mirror Trading International. Where is the money? MTI says that it's stuck in their unregulated broker's account, the mysterious Trade 300. So there's a hope that liquidators will be able to get that money and pull it. But unfortunately, the liquidators are trying to find as many assets as they can. And it appears that some of these Australians who just thought they were regular investors in this scheme that, as I said, dodged a bullet, that they'll also have to contribute to this pool of money. Well, Sarah, all I can say is we're so lucky that you have a habit of checking court records for fun every afternoon. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for your interest. Today's episode of Please Explain was produced by Tammy Mills with technical assistance by David McMillan. Our executive producer is Ruby Schwartz. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the City Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris. This is Please Explain. Thanks for listening. <laughs>